We are Wrestling Elitists. I'm your co-host, Chris Scott Moore, joined as always with Awesome Sauce, Alex Gibson, and the Stone Pitbull, Sean Nash. Hello, Bang boys. Green. We're coming Hello. off hey. the heels of Super Bowl 56, uh, which saw the NFL's equivalent of Cody Rhodes win a Super Bowl. So, Sean, what are your thoughts? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, this is a long time coming. This is well-deserved from Matt Stafford. Matthew Stafford. He deserves every bit of this. Should have been his MVP. Cooper Cup. What? But, I mean... All Cooper Cup did was put the team on his back all year. So, totally get what you're saying there, Sean. Yeah, you know, I mean, someone just had to throw him the ball. But, as a long-time Lions fan, happy for Happy for Stafford. Got his due. I'm surprised you're not wearing a Detroit Rams shirt today, Sean. <sighs> no, that that's a little too far. That's... I'm just happy for him. Fuck, fuck the Rams, but <laughs> you know, you know, the one thing that's super, I think, uh, interesting about the uh, the NFL is they don't even they don't even need the refs to take bumps to miss uh, obvious calls. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> wow, wow, good one. These comedy shows are paying off for you, rubbing <laughs> yeah. off on you. Thank you. I've been, I was excited of, to use uh, that. Funny superstars. So we had The Rock open the Super Bowl itself, and that was fucking amazing. He did such a great job. Like he just did his usual shtick, but it was so much fun to see him do that. And he stole the show, and that went pretty. I mean, everything's going to go viral in the Super Bowl. It's the goddamn Super Bowl, but that got a lot of attention and eyeballs. And I was thinking, like, fuck, like I wish they were doing Roman and Rock this year because it would have capitalized it and you had the synergy with them being on Peacock and NBC. Um, but it was a cool Super Bowl just because of all the wrestling representation. You had The Rock doing his thing, um, the WrestleMania commercial. I think you had Batista in something with the guy from Best in Show and that other show that I haven't seen yet, Shit's Creek, and one of the Bellas has a show. So. Yeah, Eugene Levy, that's right. Yeah. Just a lot of a uh, lot of a uh, wrestling representation last night. I loved it. It's good to see. Good to see. Wrestling really is like as much as it's like people like to act like it's some like fringe thing, like it's a part it's always a part of pop culture. Even remember when the Yes chant was big and like they were doing yeah. it at Michigan State games yeah. and um you see it at, you see it everywhere and I sometimes I almost wonder like do people not realize that they're referencing wrestling sometimes? Like obviously when it's The Rock, you know, but when it's something that is more like the yes chan or something like that, or even back in the days of like the DX suck it, like were people doing that and just not realizing where that originated from WWE's WWE, like as much as we could say about them, like they are always kind of at that kind of forefront of like, they were kind of like original memes almost in the nineties yeah. in terms of like what people would like reference and like their jokes that they would make. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I mean, they could be so much more popular. And I think like we started the show in the very first episode, we thought like, Hey, like we're doing a podcast because we think it's going to become mainstream again. And I think it still could, uh, a lot of shit going on and a lot of exciting things to talk about. So before we talk about wrestling, just want to go over uh, a couple of things real quick. So if you follow us on wrestling latest podcast, you'll be able to get links to our articles and our match reviews on WrestlingElitist.com. We just had our biggest single day week of traffic last week. So we'll talk a little bit about what that article was about later on. But uh, it was a big week for us on the website. We're going to have some more articles coming out this week as well. So again, follow us on Wrestling Elitist Podcast on Twitter. Uh, and if you have any questions that you want us to address on the show, please at us uh, or ask us questions via our email addresses on the website itself. So, Sean, for anyone who's a new listener, what's the format of the show? 
format goes, we have our match, moment, news items of the week, along with a little cringeworthy item, and then leave you off with what we're looking forward to in the, the weeks and months to come. All righty. Well, it was a awesome show on Dynamite. I think this is one of the better shows they've had so far. Two outstanding matches that we're going to go into. So, Sean, let's start off with you. What was your match of the week? Apparently, I've got the hot button one. Above, yeah. Uh, I, I just thought it was a fun match. It was uh, Hangman Page defeating Lance Archer in that Texas death match. It was fun. It was quick. It felt like there was a lot of moving parts to the whole thing, even though it, it did feel so quick. The second time I went through, I was kind of surprised. It was only 20 minutes actually in length or somewhere, somewhere around there. Uh, Hangman taking the fight right away to Lance Archer. Kind of it's what exactly what he needed to kind of get things going for him. Um, we kind of saw in this match what Hangman's willing to go through and be able to take to retain this championship. It means a lot to him. He's not just going to be a quick transitional champion. It was a good early on match to beat the giant monster to put into your repertoire of championship defenses when you haven't had so many. So good to see for him. Is is Hangman just clever when he just tosses down that uh, the barbed wire he had around his arm to hit the buckshot off the ref, or is it just dumb luck? Because that seems more of the, the likelihood for a millennial cowboy who just drinks his way to the championship. Um, and even Jake and uh, Lance Archer's relationship kind of seemed a little testy there, with Lance thinking Jake was going to take like the whole spotlight and shine. We got some explanation on the Dan Lambert connection. To, hardly did anything for me to really give it any weight but i'm interested interested to see where it goes with jake and if we see him much longer it seems out there um the moves in the match were pretty crazy um that blackout everyone dies what a move onto the steps he's bounced off hit his head on the, the post perfect little thing um the buckshot lariat off the ref like i said great phenomenal quick-witted move um i didn't know lance archer had glass pane entrance thing like at his entrance point but that was cool to see him go through that just hearing the glass shatter takes you back um and jake getting his little shit in with that short arm clothesline trying to go for the ddt and put him away perfect just he seemed seemed so happy doing it i didn't really like the ending because it kind of seemed like he won via just a count out when in the texas death match it should probably just be like actually standing i don't know it just seemed weird how they were counting it the whole time it being such a hardcore match it seemed not worth it but i'm interested to hear what you guys have to say chris yeah alex ripping a new asshole here jump chopping at the bits <laughs> well i will i will say that it was actually it was a decent match but i don't think that they did a good job like that match shouldn't have been what it was there, there's the blood feud part of it the like there was nothing believable to me like as in that match or leading up to the match about Lance Archer being an actual true opponent in this. And I think when I see as much blood as hangman had, I want that to be like a true for the lack of a better term, blood feud. And I want that to be a, a feud that like has been boiling and like these two hate each other. Uh, I think about JBL and Eddie Guerrero. I think about even Cody versus Dustin and the amount of like violence in this match, I would have rather see that be used in an actual true feud rather than a filler feud uh, type of a type of a thing where clearly Lance was never going to have he's not going to have a match after this. And 
And I know that that's part of why you have this hardcore match, right? Is so that you can give Lance a chance because most fans are going to look at Lance Archer and like, he's not going to win, but maybe he can, if there's, if it's a Texas death match, I, I understand that aspect of it. And, and maybe this is me thinking because of all the stuff that we used to watch in WWE, where they would have like the, whatever they would call their hardcore match for that, that show, you know, cause they're always kind of changing it, but it's all ends up being the same thing. It would just be like a couple of crazy spots and then you're fine. This was actually like a brutal, brutal match to me. And it just, it didn't resonate with me because of who, because of the feud. If, if like this would think about this being like hangman versus, um, versus Moxley in a few months. And it's like their second or third match in the feud. I think it would have been perfect. Or maybe if it was a rematch of Kenny versus hangman or something like that for the, you know, for Kenny's chance back at the title, then this match makes more sense. It just, it felt like violence and blood for the sake of violence and blood, which was what my problem was. There was some really cool stuff though that I, I do have to shout out in terms of uh, I love that they took off the top the top layer of ropes because they yes. thought that that would stop him from being able to yeah. hit the buckshot lariat. That is actually a really cool uh, spin that they did right there. Um, I thought that even the buckshot that he hit it was a cool idea. Looked like it barely connected, so that was kind of annoying. I think with Sean, I kind of agree. It was a little bit like uh, just kind of a, a soft ending almost, considering how brutal the match was. Um, that uh, that spot on the stairs, that was insane. I, my problem isn't with the match. It's with the circumstances around the match, not making sense for what it truly, really, truly that feud was, uh, which was just to get us to revolution, which is probably against Adam Cole. So still a good match, but for me, it was three stars because of that. Cause I was, there was never ever a point that I thought that Lance Archer had a chance, um, and and then on top of that, I just thought it was it was overly violent for what it needed to be. No, that's not a bad take at all. I think that makes sense and totally get your perspective on that. Um, I I I like the storyline going into it. Okay, I didn't think it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, but I understood. Okay, to get um, Arch Archer Archley Archer as a as a as as a credible Same. opponent. They were, yeah, they were going to have to put him in a Texas death match um, to do that. So like, I kind of saw them cheating that a little bit and could foreshadow that. Um, yeah, I mean, he needed a big win over a big guy, though, and he needed to look like a badass. And I think that's important for his character. Uh, is the gore a bit much? Yeah. I mean, he was bleeding like a motherfucker. His eye was gushing. And that was a very, very bloody match. And he even tweeted, like, I have to stop bleeding in every single match <laughs> afterwards. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be a match that you'll look back in isolation at the end of the year and go, oh, shit, that was actually quite good. Um, the thing that took me out of it was just the commercial break. I wish they could have just let it go without a without an ad like that did take the momentum out of it, especially with it being so violent and so brutal. Um, and the violence kept escalating. So to have it cut off in the middle, just kind of took me out of it a bit. And I wish they could get some commercials in so they could just do, have a whole main event without a break in it and talk uh, in it at all. Uh, the Jake stuff that was fun to see him do the short arm uh, clothesline. I'm kind of ready to see Jake go away though with Dan Lambert as well. But um, yeah, I'm kind of, and we'll get into it too with the uh, totally Blanchard spot. I'm sure when we go into the, our match of the week and FDR versus Moxley and CM Punk. So Alex, why don't you start us off with that match? What were your thoughts on that one? First of all, I love the pairing of Mox and Punk there. 
uh, as soon as as soon as Punk, you know, is told you need to have a partner, and it can't be either of those two nerds or whatever it was that MJF said referring to uh, Tweedledee Sting and Darby. Dixon. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what it was. Uh, I I I wasn't sure who it was going to be, and I, I saw that he had tweeted at Samoa Joe like, "Hey, are you in Atlantic City right now?" Uh, which kind of pumped me up, and he was tweeting at Danhausen. <laughs> But but ultimately, I think when you think from a booking standpoint and knowing that Punk had to win that match, he had to pick like a super like you couldn't have him. I, I think Danhausen's still hurt, but he it couldn't be Danhausen in that moment because it had to be somebody who, despite the fact that they're not typical tag team partners, that kind of can make up for it because you're facing an FTR who's the best tag team in the world. And you know when I I always see those guys as like FTR as a tag team, nearly unbeatable. Uh, but you know, when they're separated in a singles match, then you could beat them. And it's the same, same thing on the reverse side. Somebody could be a great singles wrestler, but you put them in a, a tag match and it doesn't work. And you can kind of think through the logic on that. Uh, so I thought Mox was the perfect pick. Uh, and then just the match overall, I thought it was really good. I, you know, we haven't seen Moxley and punk tag team, but like, I was like, man, if, if Mox doesn't join Danielson, I kind of want Mox and punk to, to do this. Like, they looked like a good team. I think that they're two guys that have, you know, really unique styles. They're both, you know, very influenced by Japanese wrestling in different ways. Obviously, Mox is more Japanese wrestling, like the deathmatch wrestling. But uh, but then Punk obviously has quite a bit of like the more traditional All Japan, New Japan influences there. Uh, thought that the match was good. There was a couple of near falls that, you know, I just complained about how I never thought that Archer was going to lose or win that last match. Um I, you know, in my mind, I didn't think Punk was losing this match because I assumed that the match was going to, that revolution is going to be MJF versus Punk. But there was a couple of close falls that made me think that actually he might, they might be losing. Um, I think, you know, Dax and Cash, we've talked about it before. Um, There might not be two guys better on the roster that can make other people look great while continuing to look great throughout that. Um, Just overall, the match. Uh, for me was, it was four stars. I could have given it more. Uh, however, I thought there was a couple of little botchy spots that just didn't go quite right. And, um, that probably is because Mox and Punk aren't typically tag partners. So it it makes sense. Um, but overall, yeah, it it was a beyond solid match for me, four stars. And, uh, what were your thoughts? Sean, Uh, anything before I jump in? Yeah, sure. Uh, it was definitely it was again another fun match. Stealing stealing words from Chris here, but um, yeah. a cool cool odd pairing makes sense. Pairing that that'd be cool to see if the the Brian Danielson thing doesn't happen, and it's cool to like get some word from him on Rampage later to explain where he's kind of at with seeing Moxley tag with him and not get a single answer on his offer. So that'd be nice to hear something on that, but. It was definitely a great match, uh, fun, and always love to see FTR. That that shattered machine or big rig, whatever it's called now, that was phenomenal. Yeah, it's beautiful. Timed. You uh, think, so I liked at the very beginning of the match, Punk was doing jumping jacks, which was huh, a little Danielson-ish. And so maybe he is going to join them. Um, that could be a possible swerve. Um, I thought that was interesting. And then Mox had a little bit of a hesitation and delay when he first tagged in. And I thought, oh, maybe he's going to fuck Punk to start off and just attack him. And I like that you could use Moxley as a tweener because everyone just hates the pinnacle and FDR. So you could have him 
do that. And it's not a, oh, they're just forgetting about the Danielson thing. Um, he kind of can be a free agent because everyone thinks FTR is a dick. And like you said, they did team up really well and they did have double tandem spots that looked great. That doomsday device was amazing. That was the best one I've seen in a while since I took one in 1992 and injured my poor little neck. Uh, <laughs> Love that shit though. It was great. And then just the selling of it too, with Punk's knee being injured and not being able to make the immediate tag. Cause some of the, some of the kickouts did stretch a little bit of believability in terms of Punk not doing the super finishers kickouts and false finishes a lot. He was always out of position or selling something to cover it, which was very intelligent. Um, I love that they did. A, there was a great spot where, uh, Mox is going for a reaching for a hot tag to Punk, and he gets distracted. Cash does like the running knee that Punk does instead, and hits that. That was just awesome. Cash was on fire in this match. He was running his hair through his achy breaky big mistakey, which is looking better and better as the weeks go by. That fucking hair is, as we said, money. Uh, love this match. I gave it four stars, but probably will notch it up to four and a quarter if I watch it again in hindsight later on in the year. This was another match you could just go, God damn, in isolation. The, this was a great match that would be a match of the year candidate if the quality of wrestling wasn't just so fucking high right now. It's it's incredible sometimes what we get in terms of weekly wrestling right now. And uh, they just there's always... It feels like something like that where you're like, wow, that could have been a pay-per-view uh, for most companies, but it's just yeah. kind of a, it's just a normal Wednesday or Friday night for AEW. An uh, interesting setup too. It's a cold match. Obviously there's no storyline leading up to this. So that makes it, you're, you're fighting upstream with that. And then they did like a, like a 1998, 1999 raw open where it's a heel starting off the show doing a long promo and they set up a match later on, which is, I think one of the first times that Dynamite's done that. Yeah, I thought that too. I, I I actually was wondering if that's been done before on Dynamite because that's so rare for them to start off that way with a 15-minute promo that kind of sets up a big match for... That, that crossed my mind too. And I, I'd love to see... I'm sure there's somebody online that can... Yeah, that someone has, that has that fact. Yeah, someone knows the statistic of that. So that was actually my moment of the week. Um, I'll just start with mine. Uh, that was mine for sure with uh, uh, MJF coming out on Randy Savage's Macho King <laughs> thing. That was so amazing. Me? His white shoes from uh, Uncle Eddie from National Lampoon's Vacation. And then he comes in and makes out with the second girl. And just every uh, the announcers were disgusted. I was disgusted watching. Was I was like, oh, God. God. Just, just amazing heel heat to start it off. Uh, making Wardlow have to set up the ring. They all do the little huddle celebration as a group and they all frolic together like Anchorman. Yeah, God damn, it was that good. Just an awesome start. Uh, and MJF made Darby Allen break when he called him Tweedledee and Tweedle Dipshit. Darby was fucking laughing so hard. And like, you never see that guy break. Like, they just were having a good time. Awesome heel heat segment. Uh, MJF continuing to deliver. It shouldn't have been that good of a segment because this is kind of an old feud and they've been going on for a long time. But I think this will probably be a revolution match, Punk and uh, MJF, and I'm excited to see another one. It was a great segment, as always. And typically, if if they do those celebration moments, they're not that 
great. You know, there, there, you always know it's going to be some sort of like someone's going to pop out of a cake or there's going to be something, blah, blah, blah. But for this one, I was like super excited about because as soon as we saw them come out, uh, I, my one thing is they're almost, they're going too far to the side of no subtlety at all with the Wardlow stuff in terms of how they treat him. And like, it, it was especially clear this week. I mean, you see it most of the time, but I think other times you can kind of like write it off as like, as MJF taking at Wardlow for granted and just being so focused on Sean Spears or whatever it is, but him coming out with no entrance and then the kind of like the way that they talk to him, it just got to be a little bit of, Hey, I, I wish you would dial it back a little bit for me. Still an awesome moment. But well, did you have a thought, Chris, there? Yeah, I mean, I think if Wardlow wasn't wrestling every week, he'd be the biggest, what is it, cook, cook, the thing like that. Cook? Yeah. Cuck with you. There you go. I wouldn't know. <clears throat> but, uh, <laughs> but no, like the fact that he wrestles every week gets him out of looking like that. And hopefully they pay it off with him outsmarting MJF. Um, but yeah, it is it is getting like, you know, there's some criticisms of AEW taking too, too long to deliver and let a storyline go out, which is funny because, you know, people bitched about storylines being so sudden and like it wasn't, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, I can see them doing it. I'd rather them do a payoff sooner than later. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, Sean, what was your moment of the week? Yeah, from from that poor big man to another big man debuting on uh, Dynamite. Keith Lee coming through that forbidden door. Great, yeah. great. Great timing with what happened before and who we're going to see actually come into the match. Um, I'm so excited to see Keith Lee here. There's a lot of dream matches there, a lot of beef slamming possibilities with uh, Hobbs, Brody King. If Brian Cage is sticking around for who knows how long, that'd be a cool match. Um, he's going to be just a dominant addition. I think he probably is going to be a clear favorite to win that face of the revolution match at uh, Revolution. I mean, Happened with Brian Cage at, uh, what was that, Double or Nothing or whatever he won the ladder match. It just kind of seems to happen with the big men and the the gimmick uh, pay-per-view match for them. So excited to see all the possibilities with him. Uh, he seems like probably one of the greatest dudes in wrestling, just out of out of the business. So well-deserved. Yeah, I think he just got married, too, so he's kind of living off a couple highs right now. So good for him, and excited to see Banner week for Keith Lee with getting married and then getting to debut with AEW uh, and getting treated like he's Keith Lee instead of being the Bearcat. Uh, (laughs) It was just, it's crazy to see how quickly they made him Keith Lee again. Yeah. I I saw him when he came back, back in July, uh, because he returned in Texas and he was just, they they just they they managed to make him a diluted like just a just a guy who's on the roster and making him wear the singlet. I don't know if you guys noticed when he popped off his uh, coat, like he was almost like he was revealing, like I'm not wearing the stupid singlet anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like he was doing at least. And it was so cool to just see. You can see how happy he was. Isaiah Cassidy, like that guy, bumped like uh, a master for him yeah, in terms of like yeah. just the way the way that he went flying in the air for him. Even Mark Quinn after the match when they both like attacked him and were doing the topes on him and that that power bomb onto Isaiah Cassidy that he did. AEW in, you know, what was that, ten minutes maybe, 
made Keith Lee look like what all of us had seen in him prior to his WWE run when we saw him in Evolve and in other places, PWG. And they just completely returned him to that. It, I think you said in your article, Chris, that it was like they had cryogenically frozen Keith Lee from like t- 2017 or something like that. And this was him again. This was like, it's like those couple of years in WWE never happened. He looked better. Uh, he looks happy. And he looked like the star that we all knew he could be. I'll never understand how WWE didn't really see much in him. Yeah. Uh, but to be honest, I'm kind of glad because AEW is going to be a place for him to thrive. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him versus Miro. I'm looking forward to seeing him versus really anybody. But it'll be cool to see the next few weeks because I'm assuming we're going to continue. I actually, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I wish Marco Stunt was still on the roster because I would love to see Keith Lee versus Marco Stunt. <laughs> that would be wild. Just, just yeah, I mean, he, he came out looking genuinely happy. And I think, again, we all love to see wrestlers knowing that like they don't hate their life and they hate their gimmick and they hate their job and they're connecting with who they are and they get to be themselves. Um, I said in the article, Keith Lee is unfuck upable, and that's very true. It's just I, I don't understand how you don't see that guy and go, well, that's a big star. When we saw him in Evolve, it was clear as day. It's like, oh, yeah, that guy connects with everyone. And anyone of any dynamic and background or however you identify, whatever the fuck your thing is, you look at that guy and go, yeah, I, w- I want to be like that guy. And I'm, I have a part of me inside him, too, and that's what connects and that could make him a big star. Um, it's a shame that he didn't get a chance to do that younger, you know, and he, I don't know, maybe had more years left, but he's going to have a couple of years now and hopefully he gets the opportunity to be, um, a main event star, not just a TNT title holder. Uh, Isaiah Cassidy, you mentioned, yeah, hell of a trooper, uh, that first spot where he just gets lawn darted across the ring. That's going to live on forever. That was a great moment. And then, um, his high pitch girlish squeal when he knows he's doomed, that shit works every time. I'm Love not the it. biggest comedy fan in wrestling, but that always never fails to make me just just squeal with delight myself watching him just panic and get the shit kicked out <laughs> of him. It's just so good. Perfectly done. Um, this was a good execution, too, for a surprise because, again, everyone knew who was going to be kind of like Punk coming back. We all kind of knew it, and this felt like it was the right move. But they did enough of a tease to you know, tease Jeff Hardy and as a thing, because, you know, God knows we want to see him do a swanton bomb 22 years after the fact off a ladder. Cause that's good somehow. Uh, but at least they teased that and they built to that moment. And that made sense with Matt Hardy getting pissed off and erratically going through the crowd. So a little bit of good foreshadowing there as well. Just on the side note of Jeff Hardy, for the second Keith Lee won and there was the whole Jeff reference, I just had this moment where I pictured at the face of revolution match, uh, Hardy and Keith Lee recreating the edge spear off, the, off the ladder moment <laughs> with yeah. Keith Lee. Cause that would just be so destructive. Just tear him in half. Keith Lee instead. Oh no. Ah, <laughs> uh. And it's got to be someone smaller doing it too. Like it's got to be Dante Martin doing the spear. <laughs> it's no fucking sense. <laughs> you know who's got a good spear? Ricky Starks. I True. love his spear. He actually True. does. Ricky Starks. All right. So that was one forbidden door. Let's go into the next one with our news of the week. Sean. They uh, they tease us to, to start that with uh, 
Jay White coming in and running in with his old Bullet Club stablemates, or he never actually was in there with Adam Cole, I don't believe. But uh, super interesting and like, uh, hell yeah, we got Jay White. That was not one that I truly would have actually thought what was, was going to happen. Um, Nick Jackson wearing the switchblade earrings and him just giving a little shout yeah. to that. Just <laughs> so perfect. He's such a great character. Uh, he was just great. And then we get to see him on Friday night too with coming in and taking out Trent. Seems to be a, maybe a Bullet Club chaos kind of uh, feud going here. Let's see what, what happens with that. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, I just kind of wonder what's going to happen with Bullet Club because it kind of seems like this might be something that of Adam Cole's creating because clearly the young bucks don't seem to be quite too in it but uh can't wait to see what happens what are you thinking alex it was such a cool moment especially the way that they aligned it with being right before the surprise of keith yeah. lee coming out i thought executed perfectly and the way that he just walked up and you see the switchblade uh jacket which i don't think i could pull off a leather jacket but man do i wish i could because that's a pretty badass jacket no, and, you look uh, just as cool, man. Don't be so hard. <laughs> Believe in yourself. I'd look, I'd look as cool as Triple H in like a WrestleMania um, entrance. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I thought it was awesome the way that they did it. It's just such a small little thing. It's really cool to see how Adam Cole is just slowly destroying the the elite, and and you're not even sure if he's doing it on purpose quite yet. Um, but I, either way, I'm excited for what it means for the future. And I thought another thing that was interesting was Tony Khan tweeted after the show, he didn't secure Jay White until Sunday night because he realized he had mistaken what, he, when he was talking about somebody coming through the forbidden door, he realized that he fucked up and nobody was coming through the forbidden door because Keith Lee was a free agent. So I thought it was cool that his version of making it up to the fans was to give us jay fucking white who's like the guy who pretty much since aew was announced i i wanted him in aew and i know he's probably still a new japan guy fully uh but even if we get a couple month run with him you know just getting to see him i'd rather see him hitting uh, what's his finisher's name i'm it's called the blade runner right blade runner yep yeah i'd rather see him hitting the blade runner than uh bray wyatt hitting the sister abigail since it's the same finish but uh it's it's going to be an exciting run no matter what happens. I think obviously this tells me, though, the fact that they brought him in kind of in that crunch and they did what they did. This must have been the plan for a while, though, was for him to come in soon and for him to be a part of this elite uh, you know, power struggle internally. Like so so it makes me also wonder if if Kenny's not too far away from returning, which kind of seems crazy because it feels like Kenny's only been gone for a couple of weeks, but he's been gone since what middle of November at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's been gone for a while, but I mean, he can still be gone until after revolution, maybe a show or two afterwards, he comes back in at that point, you know, uh, maybe we'll have, you know, dynamite in Detroit by that time. Who knows? But uh, I did love uh, seeing Jay White there too, uh, as well. Jay White's one of the, uh, he's the first new Japan uh, t-shirt I bought besides bullet clubs. So Love the guy. Always have loved him. He's put on some five-star matches with Coda at uh, the G1 and then at uh, Wrestle Kingdom itself, too, at the main event of the second night. He's a great wrestler if he has time. He can really deliver and make things realistic. And he also has a great American style with 
he's not going to have him, but the little Weasley guy, Gato, isn't going to be in um, anything here, hopefully. But uh, he has a great way to use, like, American-style stuff. He's going to fuck – imagine him fucking with Aubrey, the way that he fucks with red shoes. That's going to be great to see. Jay White's a heel, like MJF is a heel. He's never going to be a babyface. He's a guy that you just find despicable, and there's so much entertainment that comes out with how much of a slimy piece of shit he is. But he's actually a good wrestler who's very believable, and he looks fucking great. Like, the guy is uh, – his abs are almost as good as mine. I mean, he's <laughs> in very good shape. Um, well, I don't know. I just love Jay White, and I'm happy to see him here, and hopefully he has a good match with Trent, whose star is also rising too. You just saying MJF, man, that'd be a fun, like unholy union type of a thing. To see <laughs> MJF and Jay White do some sort of teaming up together. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, that would just be nuclear heat. Do that somewhere too, or where you have a lot, like do that in Chicago or Detroit um, or some, you know, somewhere where there's good fans that Arbor, make noise. Plant those, yeah. Plant those in there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh you know, I love all this bullet club stuff. The only thing that sucks though is you can't get AJ Styles. He's going to be locked up forever and he can't come back and then Finn Balor can't come back as Prince Devitt. I mean, he could be someone that gets future endeavor too though because he's not I think he's Hunter's person. So therefore it's a conspiracy and Nikon's going to get rid of him. Sounding like Brian Kendrick there. Uh but I would like to see Prince Devitt to be a part of this angle just because he's yeah. so important to that and then uh, one of the gorillas of uh, Destiny, whatever the hell they they resigned with New Japan, so maybe they could get involved too. Tamatanga, yeah. Yeah. I, also, I just want to say I used to love the name Prince Devitt, uh, but it's, I'm so used to Finn Balor now that you saying Prince Devitt, I was like, that sounds like a fake name. I <laughs> I don't like that at all. But it's just because I'm so used to Finn Balor at this point. I would love to get to see prince devitt before uh before he hangs up the boots because it's he's the reason that we have a he's the reason we're talking today essentially recording this podcast it, it goes back to to finn creating the bullet club back in you know back in what was that 2013 or whatever 2012 so um would love to see him eventually get to be a part of that too crazy how true that is yeah and i only think of him as uh he'll always forever be fergal fergal <laughs> A little inside joke there. All right, Sean, what was your uh, cringe of the week? Let's go. Let's get negative. Yeah, this one felt just super cringy from the start. The whole uh, inner circle segment. Awful. Oh, I'm sick and tired of seeing Jericho in this like plain dumb, just corny, corny shit, as uh, Santana said while they were in the ring. Um, why does Jake Hager just not have a single thing to say for himself or to do anything? He just stands there. No one really even cares about him. He just gets mentioned at the end. It just seems so stupid. Uh, Sammy kind of throws his little weight around and takes off his jacket and throws it on the ground. It's something we've seen before, something that we've seen time and time again. Um, Jericho calling himself the influencer just sounds awful on these he sounds awful when he, he said something after like retorting to um, Santana and he sounded just like Donald Trump, just like, Oh, you're, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. And it just took me out of him. I'm, I'm sick of him. I, he needs to get, he needs to get out of here. Um, hopefully at least like we get a good match out of this, this, like and we get maybe like a little Kingston nod or maybe even like some old LAX members now that they're brought up and see what uh, Jericho's, 
Wade Stable to pull. Just, it was awful. Uh, I would love to see the inner circle implode. What about you guys? They're six months late on the implosion though. This, this, they should have broken up a long time ago at this point, And nobody cares. I don't think like, at least I know I don't. And I know, I don't think you guys do. I don't think, uh, you know, my, my other friends that are into wrestling care, the inner circle kind of feels like they've been dead for a while. And now they're just like, oh yeah, we should also break up while we're broken up already. And it just feels like a little bit of an afterthought. Um, I thought that it just was a dumb segment. It was boring. Definitely didn't need to be done. And especially just the way they did it, it just felt very forced. I love, uh, you know, the proud and powerful They're They've been great since before AEW, but they really haven't done anything in AEW. They, they should have really kind of let them shine a little bit and then done the breakup. Like, like they should have almost been on the cusp of getting that number one, uh, ranking in the tag team rankings. And then something Jericho does screws them over, like whether it's on purpose or not to really be able to blame rather than kind of doing this, like, Hey, we've been floundering for two years because of you. It just, there's no real heat there for them. As much as a lot of the fans of AEW are fans of them from back in the day, it just doesn't really feel that special right now. So there's that aspect. And then Jericho, I think the only reason I don't want Jericho to retire is because I don't want him full-time on commentary. Otherwise, I want Jericho to pretty much call it quits at this point. Maybe it's an absence that makes the heart grow fonder if he were to go away for a little bit longer. I know he was just on tour but I need him to go take like a, you know, when he would leave WWE for two to three years, I need him to do that type of a thing at this point. He's corny as a baby face. Um, Jake Hager sucks. I, I honestly, I, I have nothing else that I can really say about him. And Sammy, I, I texted the group chat this uh, when we were watching it. He sounds like a, like the created character for a story mode in a WWE, you know, SmackDown versus Raw. He just, the way he talks, the cadence he has, the way that he inter- interjects, like everything about it, it just sounds like a really bad voice actor and it drives me crazy. And the fact that he's quitting a second time, but he's not really fully quitting because if they figure it out, then he won't quit. Ugh, stop. Also, wear one TNT title, Sammy. You're the, like you, the, why are you not unifying the titles? That's stupid. Sorry, Sean, I think you had something else to add. As a, and I'm, maybe I'm speaking for you guys as well, as a, an attendee of Beach Bash, I was not uh, offended by not getting to see Jericho tag into that match like he presumed and thought. Oh, we all did, as he said. Corny ass shit. No, it was just god awful. Yes, I, I agree. I, I disavow him thinking that we were upset by that. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the time on them has run out, and you can contrast them with the pinnacle who just seems so vibrant and they're doing kind of a repetitive shtick right now. We've been seeing this for a couple of weeks, but it still felt fresh and it still felt interesting and new. And they bring wrinkles to it that are interesting and unique with the inner circle. It's just kind of the same shit. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be upset if these guys got picked off by Vince, if these were the big um, first people to jump and go to WWE. Um I wouldn't be bothered by it at all. Uh, I would like to see them do some semblance of a fatal five way to kind of just blow them up and maybe do that on pay-per-view. Maybe that's what they do for revolution. I'd be fine with that. Um, and yeah, and I think unfortunately the the dual titles are going to stay on Sammy until he drops it to Keith Lee. I think that's going to be Hate that. on there for a while. 
Um, so my cringe of the week, and this is just me being a dumbass, but I didn't put two and two together that Rampage had uh, piped crowd noise in it. Like, I didn't know that. It was on Reddit this week, and someone was like, and someone kind of made a joke about it, like, yeah, do you not know that that's in there? And I was like, fuck, I didn't know that they did that. that, they did that. Um, but it, yeah, it just sucks. I, I'd rather them, uh, you know, you get the noise that you get or you don't get, and it's just very real. And hey, if the crowd isn't into it, that's fine. Um, especially with, with a promotion that likes to have shades of gray a lot of the times, like there isn't an obvious face or heel. And so it should live and die on the vine accordingly. Um, I don't want them to get too comfortable miking the crowd because then, or uh, piping sound in, excuse me, because then it's going to sound like how SmackDown sounds like right now. And that is horrible sounding. Like I've criticized AEW before of it not being loud enough and capturing all the noise that goes on in the crowd. And we were there and we got to hear things that it doesn't really translate on television, but uh, SmackDown is so over miked with fake noise that it gets unrealistic and it's silly. And I get, yeah, it's fiction. It's a sitcom in its own way where they use, you know, canned laughter too. But yeah, I just want it to be organic and real and like a real sports presentation. Sean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, as an attend, as I said, like earlier, as an attendee, the show kind of did just feel like once we got to Rampage taping, it just felt a little long and like, damn, like if you've already put me through one main event, so even dark matches in the beginning, maybe they just need to kind of play with the the scheduled setup of the show and when to tape when and if they want to get the reaction out of the crowd like they would. It's kind of tough to do, but it does seem very odd to uh, go the way of WWE and pipe in that music, but or the sounds, I should say. I'm sorry. I I cannot stand the sound of fake crowd noise. I, it took me out because I noticed it during that hook match, which yeah, love hook, and uh, it just instantly the second I noticed it, I was just instantly not interested because it's so fake. Like what's going on clearly doesn't match up. You could see the fans like. And they're all just sitting there and I'm sure they were making some noise, but just the way that it sounds with, it sounds like a bunch of like a soccer game or something like that with the way that like the people are just kind of like buzzing almost. Yeah. I, it feels, I don't know. It just feels so in, not genuine at that point. And it mm-hmm. feels like that's, that's been one of my big problems with uh, WWE SmackDown, you know, as long as, so how long have we been complaining about, you know, the Roman Reigns push, you know, up until like the last year or so it's been decent if you've watched any of it. But, you know, one of the things that was so frustrating was it just felt like WWE was trying to just ignore how the fans were reacting. And it kind of a little bit triggers those thoughts of like, is AEW trying to just like force what they believe and enforce their, who they want to be over to be over and all that stuff. Like I'd, I'd rather watch a little bit more dead of a crowd than hear a fake crowd noise. That's just my personal. Right. If there was ever a fan base that would shit all over that and be a very aggressive in uh, going against the grain, it's going to be AEW fans. I mean, look what they've done to Cody. They have to be so careful with his segments because of the reaction he's trying to cause. And it's very awkward. Um, Okay. Well, let's go into the future now. What are you anticipating in the weeks or months ahead? Sean, what's on your mind? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to after that video of uh, Pentagon Dark or probably Penta L Ascoro or whatever he can they can license out of the Lucha Underground mess that they were all in. And Rampage is going to be at 7 p.m. because of the NBA All-Star game. 
could probably watch it probably still schedule or on the the dvr but uh, a little earlier at least um pentagon dark i kind of gives me a little thought of maybe phoenix is going to be out a little longer and we'll see kind of a singles heel run out of him when he was just like we did see in lucha underground and i love that character in lucha underground is perfect when that those things were still running well there so excited to see and where this kind of leads with again the house of black i've been really anticipating a lot of their stuff lately and i'm just excited to see it all yeah i was looking forward for a uh, penta singles run i wanted him to be in the tnt title picture maybe even get a run with the title i'd be fine with that um i was disappointed though that they had the voiceover because i was like oh god they're keeping uh, they're keeping Jimmy like I just don't need to see him with him anymore and that would have been a perfect opportunity to just ditch him and then fine have him do Spanish and the voiceover it's okay you can do subtitles or just not do subtitles it's cool with just Spanish it's fine we all took Spanish for a couple of years in high school and maybe some of it can translate I don't know um yeah I, I want to see him have a darker edge he could do more um with that character and have a kind of a spin on it and I too agree with you. Dynamite time or Rampage is like way too fucking late. I'm way too old. I'm going to be 36 in just a matter of days. I don't have fucking time to be up at 10 o'clock. Thank the you. last like, th- I think like three, two or three weeks, I've been going to bed, like just struggling to get to like get past nine o'clock. And I'm like, there's no way I can watch this live. So for it to be yeah. on at seven, that is like right in my wheelhouse. I can't wait. I'm I'm pumped about 7 p.m. Rampage. I hope it has like crazy good ratings so that they start considering doing that more often because I would just be I'd be smitten if that's what they did. And as far as the Pentagon Bla- or uh, Dark, um, I'm wondering if they're going to have him snap in arms again because that was always a fun part of that oh, yeah. of that gimmick. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. Um, my anticipation though, is, uh, looking at Lee Moriarty versus Brian Danielson. Yeah. Uh, as we know, Danielson mentioned Lee Moriarty when he was trying to recruit Mox and, and looking at potential fits. And then on rampage, he got, uh, called out by Matt Seidel for trying to steal, steal his, uh, mentee. And I just think that that match, you, when you watch Lee Moriarty, you can tell that he's very much influenced by Danielson. So to be able to uh, see those two go at it, you know, uh, you know, Danielson's made his character where he's like, I'm, I'm here to kick people's heads in, but you know, like in, in, you know, kind of in the back, he's there to make people look good and teach the next generation. So, you know, he's going to give Lee a chance to really shine. So I think that this will be a kind of a little bit of a coming out party for Lee Moriarty, who's been good so far, but I think this will give a lot of fans who might be a little bit skeptical or might not be sure, uh, you know, a reason to believe and a reason to kind of watch him as, as we go forward as uh, somebody who's got potential to be, um, you know, a future kind of top guy in the company. I think uh, it's going to be a good match and, and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited for that match too. I think that's the beauty of Danielson not having an in-ring match for a couple of weeks is it allows him to be able to tell a story in the ring where it's not just him telling a story with a promo. It's going to be him telling a story with, how he attacks Lee, what offense he gives him. Is it truly going to be he wants to make him a mentee or does he just say that just beat the fuck out of him? Um, that could be a possibility as well. Um, I, I really like what they'll do with that. And like you said, yeah, he's going to give him some shine. He's going to allow him to hit his best couple of moves and sequences. It's almost kind of like how Bret Hart used to um, find out what you did best and he'd allow you to do those in perfectly timed moments 
to make you look great. And he did a good job of carrying people. And Danielson certainly knows how to do that. Um, I mean, I think he's fucking great. Hangman is awesome, but Hangman has never looked as good as he has with, uh, without Danielson. I mean, I think he looked better with Danielson than he did with Kenny Omega personally. Cool. Okay. Well, let's go into what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to, as mentioned before, Trent and Jay White. I think that is going to be fucking fun. That's going to be a great match. I love Jay White. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time already. Uh, accomplished so much in IWGP. So to get him on American mainstream TV is going to be a real treat. Trent has been performing at a high level. His characters uh, is stronger. He's uh, wrestling like a young Christian circa 2005. So I love what Trent's doing as well. I think it's going to be a great match. Um, I saw some semblance of like a spoiler on Wikipedia. I don't think this was actually accurate though, but they said that one of the revolution matches was going to be like a five way with um, Jay White, Red Dragon, and um, oh, fuck, who, who am I forgetting? And then, oh, and then Young Box versus Hello Brain Fart versus um, Best Friends slash Chaos, whatever the hell they're going to call them. So that could be a cool match. I'd like to see that, but I would be up for just a Jay White facing someone, uh, just singles match, me personally. But hey, what do I know? Sean, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's uh, we got Jay White and JR in the same room again. We don't want to, uh, good thing we got that uh, announcer stand way up top because we don't want to. Josh Barnett or whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to say, keep Barnett away. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And he like broke his knee or, or ribs or something. Like, so, so ridiculous, but. He got know. fucking mad. That was, a, yeah. yeah, that was like a weird, like, oh, that's a moment that, like, is a shoot that isn't, uh, and he, you don't see all the time. I remember them getting really, really upset by that. Jay White played that off perfectly in the moment, too, of just like, no, 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 like, get this asshole out of my ring. Like, perfect. I'm not getting in there till then. And yeah, this is going to be a perfect kind of like a New Japan style with both of them having their years there. And Trent's been on the rise. It's been cool to see. So, this will be a very fun match. Yeah, I love but, the connection that they have with New Japan right now. I mean, it's good that. Um, AEW is not being like WWE and being isolationist. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing of the Forbidden Door. Talked about it a lot today, but that's the cool thing about this is it is good for the fans. Yeah, there's criticisms of like, hey, they're not making the most of the roster that they have right now, but you get to see things that you never got to see as a fan. And isn't that what you want at the end of the day? And I think this is going to hopefully lead to some semblance of, I don't know, maybe Wrestle Kingdom next year, where it's an AEW versus New Japan super show or that could be something that happens um i don't know how popular new japan would be in america and how that would affect buy rates in the usa but for if you're a hardcore wrestling fan that would be the shit i mean to imagine that uh tanahashi and okada and will osprey and those guys wrestling on um the AEW pay-per-view would be a dream come true especially if they got time to do individual matches and not just trios and tags I think there's also some value too, and and I know part of it's because the you know pandemic's still going on. And I think Japan's still on some sort of a lockdown, but you know one of the criticisms we're seeing with AEW from some fans right now is around the fact that there's a lot of names that aren't getting used. I even saw a report that Miro is actually healthy now, and they're just waiting for him to kind of get a get some creative and and be ready to go again. Uh, after healing up and it'd be nice to see a little bit more of like true excursions 
where AEW guys are going over to New Japan because I think I'd love to see uh, a run for Miro over there as a, as a monster and and there's some others that I'd like to see and that way you can have those guys still getting active work they're not being just kind of shelved but also you know you can kind of still have your rotation within AEW television or those guys can take the time off as they as they well deserve because that's a really cool fact about AEW is guys get to cycle in and out and aren't putting the same kind of pressure on their bodies that uh, you're traditionally used to with a company like WWE. So I think that that's another area that I'd like to see over the next year is, you know, as we get a Jay White in AEW, maybe New Japan gets, you know, I can't think of a good name that would be a good fit to, to pass over there right now, but they get somebody that I mean, even a Danielson, you know, that'd be huge for a new Japan to get Danielson eyes. And, you know, Danielson wants to be over there. Same thing with even Mox. I, I'm not ready to lose Mox again after we had him gone for a few months, but something like that, where, uh, there's truly a talent exchange because it does feel a little bit one way right now, but I also understand because of travel restrictions, you do see some AEW guys on new Japan strong, but I'll be honest, I've watched one episode of new Japan strong since it started. So uh, I don't know how, how big that is uh, for other people. So definitely going to be a, an interesting match though and hoping uh jay white impresses people because it'll be interesting to see those people who were like why is that a big deal that that guy debuted it'll be interesting to see them get to see him yeah you could put in the g1 guys right now that aren't doing a hellhole of a lot like you could put christian over there which, yeah, it's not the biggest dream match, but he's a big star, and that's something. Um, I would certainly love to see like Kyle O'Reilly in the G1. That would be great, just the the way he could have various styles of matches. Danielson, I think he did talk about wanting to do that. Same with Punk. Um, that would be a hell of a way to make that tournament more vibrant um, because it's been kind of shitty for the last, I don't know, a couple of years just because it's been so stale and it's the same guys wrestling every week, so or um, every year. But, all right, well... Uh, if there's nothing else left to get into, that'll be the show for this week. So I uh, want to thank everyone for listening again to the podcast and thank everyone for making our website uh, the highest uh, daily traffic it had last week. We truly appreciate it. If you have a question that you'd like us to address on the show, please add us at Wrestling Elitist Podcast and visit us at WrestlingElitas.com. Rick Rude, hit the music. Hit the music.